All right. Now, I believe God's given me a message for you, and it'll help you. I'm going to be working toward Hebrews chapter 4. But let's begin back in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to talk to you today about Sabbath keeping. And before you think I've lost my mind, listen a little while. This business of Sabbath keeping is not a matter of indifference. It is not one of those things about which the scriptures give no specific instructions. It is not like eating your steak rare or well done. It's not a matter of choice. In fact, the instructions given in the word of God concerning Sabbath keeping are specific, exact, and crystal clear. They are crystal clear. Here in Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. Now that's the essence of it. On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day. Now that doesn't mean he was tired and needed to take a nap. That means he quit working. He just quit doing anything. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set apart Saturday, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, turn over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus, the 20th chapter. Here we have the record of the law which Moses brought down with him from Mount Sinai. And in verse 9, the law reads, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. You remember which day the Lord created man upon? Which day? Sixth day. You remember the number of the beast in Revelation 13? The number of a man? Six, six, six. What a blessed number. Nothing to be scared of in that. <laughs> the number of the beast, the number of the religion of this world, the number of man is frustration, failure, and incompletion. In six days, God made the earth. Now, look at verse, or verse six, day, six days, verse nine. Shalt thou labor and do all thy work all the days of a man. But the seventh day, the seventh day, the day of completion, the day of perfection, the day when work ended. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Now look at it. In it thou shalt not do any work. That's pretty clear. It. That's pretty clear. Now like circumcision, the Passover, and all other aspects of legal ceremonial worship in the Old Testament, 
the legal Sabbath day, which we have read of in Exodus 20, was established by our God specifically and only to be a sign, a picture, and a type of His grace and salvation in Christ. The Sabbath day, like all ordinances of Old Testament carnal worship, was specifically given and only given to be a type and picture and prophecy of the work of God's grace and salvation for sinners in Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, preacher, that's a strange conclusion. Where'd you get that? Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. I didn't just draw that out of my empty head. I got it right here in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath shall you keep. Now look at it. For it is a sign. <laughs> That's pretty plain, isn't it? It's a sign. It's a picture. It's a picture between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. What an explanation. <laughs> Why on earth did God give those strict laws concerning the Sabbath? Requiring that men do no work, listen now, under penalty of death. Why on this earth would God Almighty have a man stoned by the just judgment of the universal nation of Israel because he went out and did some work on the Sabbath day? Because when he did, he was violating the gospel of God's glory. That's why. It wasn't just a matter of picking up sticks, Bruce. It wasn't just a matter of going out and watching a football game on Sunday. It wasn't just a matter of, of going out and feeding his camel on Sunday. Oh, no, no, no. When he did any work, he said, the work's not finished. He said, the work's not finished. God says the Sabbath day was given to be a sign between me and you that I am the Lord which doth save you. That's what the word sanctify means. I'm the Lord who sets you apart. I'm the Lord who makes you holy. I'm the Lord who brings you out of the world, out of the race of fallen men unto myself. Because Sabbath keeping was a legal type of our salvation in Christ during the age of carnal ordinances, like the Passover, circumcision, and all other aspects of Old Testament symbolism, once Christ came and fulfilled the type, the carnal ordinances ceased. That's right. That's exactly right. All the covenants, all the promises, all the symbols that God gave to Israel from the days of Noah through Abraham and on down through the days of Moses and David, all of them, listen to me now, listen. Every last one of them was designed to be a symbol and picture of God's church, of God's salvation, of God's Son, and God's glory. That's the whole purpose of it. Israel in the Old Testament existed only to be a symbol of God's true Israel, His church. When Joshua brought Israel into the land of Canaan, on the day he died in Joshua 23, he said, now, now listen to me, you children of Abraham. This day I go to my God. 
And I want you to hear me. God has fulfilled every word of every promise he gave your father Abraham. What is that? Every word. All the land, all the boundaries, all the borders. God fulfilled it all in the physical sense. But the spiritual fulfillment is still going on. God sends his gospel out into the nations of the world and now he gathers his Israel out of the four corners of the earth that the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in and so all Israel shall be saved. That was prophesied back in the days of Noah. He said, Shem or Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. <laughs> and here we are in Shem's tent. Here we are. All the pictures then, all the types, all the symbols were fulfilled and are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ the Lord. Now when the symbols of Old Testament worship were fulfilled, the symbols ceased forever. They ceased forever. In the New Testament, listen to me now, in the New Testament we are strictly forbidden. We are strictly forbidden to keep any of those carnal ordinances. In fact, we are plainly told that those who still attempt to worship God on the grounds of legal ordinances and legal ceremonies and legal works are still under the curse of the law. They haven't yet learned the gospel. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 that if any man be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, I don't know that there's any real danger of any of you fellows running out getting circumcised in order to find acceptance with God physically. The, ord the word goes beyond the mere exercise of physical circumcision. He says, if you do something, if you do something by which you hope to win God's favor, by which you hope to put yourself in good standing with God, by which you hope to regain God's lost favor, by which you hope to improve your standing with God, by which you hope somehow to turn away God's anger and make yourself more acceptable to God. If you do anything to add one iota to the blood and righteousness of God Almighty in Jesus Christ, Christ profits you nothing. You've missed him altogether. There are many in these days what folks call reformed Christians. Strange fellow. Sound like a reformed alcoholic. <laughs> reformed Christians who have their babies sprinkled. They slosh a little water on their face and bring them into the church and kingdom of God, they say. And by that act, now this is their word, the child is sealed into the covenant of grace. And they tell us that, that baptism, this sprinkling, that's not baptism. Baptism put folks under water. That's called sprinkling. This sprinkling, they tell us, is the New Testament equivalent of circumcision. It ain't no such thing. If it is circumcision by which men and women seal their children into the covenant, then they are still practicing the law. We are sealed in God's covenant by His grace in Jesus Christ. Baptism has got nothing to do with circumcision. Circumcision portrayed the new birth and nothing more. The Passover is strictly forbidden since Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Now wouldn't you, you know, I, I realize in this day of modern tomfoolery in the name of God you get by with anything in church not here though if you came in here this morning and saw me and your pastor dressed up in a costume trying to imitate the Aaronic priesthood 
and we brought a lamb down here. If you didn't call somebody to take us away in a padded wagon, you'd at least walk out. You'd think, well, they've popped the court. They've lost their mind. And yet people today continue to suggest that somehow there is a, a Judeo-Christian religion. There's no more a Judeo-Christian religion than there is an Islamic Christian religion. Judaism is forever now under the curse of God. And God Almighty will never revert to being worshipped on a Jewish altar, in a Jewish temple, by a Jewish sacrifice, by a Jewish priest. It won't happen. Christ fulfilled the work. Christ fulfilled the work to revert to us to say he didn't. Say he didn't. And for us to pretend to keep the Passover, we come and take the Lord's table. We take that bread and wine. Somebody says, we're keeping the Passover. No, we're not. Christ, our Passover sacrificed for us. We're keeping the Lord's table. We're remembering the redemption of our Redeemer. In exactly the same way, those who attempt to sanctify themselves by keeping a carnal Sabbath day deny that Jesus Christ alone is enough to give us perfect acceptance with the thrice holy God. As Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2, they make an outward show of spirituality in will worship. <laughs> Me, tell you something. Children of God, I don't ever do anything to show your religion. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't ever do anything to try to show folks that you believe God, that you follow Christ. Any show is just to show in the flesh, make me applaud you. Now you can excuse it any way you want to. That's what Paul says it is. Don't do it. You might as well, I, I want folks to see Jesus in me. Shoot, they didn't see Jesus in Jesus. They ain't going to see him in you. <laughs> don't, don't try to show your religion. Rather walk with God. And don't care. I mean seriously, don't care whether the world understands you or not. They're not going to. They're not going to. Such pretenses of humility are nothing but the satisfying of the flesh. Paul says so exactly in Colossians 2.23. Not only that, the whole matter of Sabbath keeping is strictly forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Since the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death at Calvary, has blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, since he has nailed God's broken law to the cross and put away our sins by the sacrifice of himself, Christ alone is our Sabbath. You remember what uh, Brother Crabtree read a little while ago? Those Jews in Isaiah 58, they were religious. They kept the feast days. They kept the holy days. They kept the sacrifices. They kept the Sabbath days. And God said to his prophet, tell them about their transgressions. They were very careful to go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. They were very careful to pay all their tithes. They did all those things outwardly that they might smite with the feast. <laughs> 
so that they could stand back in their puffed up self-righteousness and say, boy, look at me, how godly I am. And the Lord God said to his prophet, you come and tell them about their transgressions and their sins. And when I visit them and they cease from the religion of their pleasure, <laughs> when they cease from doing their own thing, when they cease from their own works and rest in me, then they shall call the Sabbath a delight. <laughs> Listen to me now. That's what it was all for. It was all given to bring us out of ourselves to Christ alone, resting in Him, who is the Sabbath of our delight. Look here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. Don't let any man bring you under a sense of bondage and guilt because you eat pork sometimes or every day or because you drink coffee. Even if you drink so much, Juan Valdez has named his donkey after you. <laughs> Don't let any man bring you into judgment with respect to meat or drink or a holy day. Any of them. Any of them. Why don't you folks observe Easter? Well, dress up if you want to, but don't call it a holiday. It ain't. Why don't you folks observe Christmas? Well, I have no objection at all. My family and I engage in the delightful practice of gathering around at Christmas time. We rejoice in remembering the birth of our Redeemer and his accomplishments. But don't you think about calling it a holiday. To do so is idolatry. Listen to me now. To keep a Sabbath day is idolatry too. That's exactly right. Let's see what the book says. Look at it. Or of the new moon. Or of the Sabbaths. Now our translators have added the word days. Perhaps we can give them the benefit of the doubt and say they added the word days because it makes it read a little smoother. I suspect they added the word days because they were Anglicans and trying to maintain their creed. The word is, let no man call you into judgment with regard to the Sabbaths, all of them, all of them, any of them, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body's Christ. <laughs> These things are just a shadow. I, uh, I have a few good pictures of my wife. Now, I can tell you with honesty, now, I, I realize that, you know, folks who don't know my wife and they just see me, they think, well, no wonder she doesn't come. She must look like him. But uh, she's a doll. I mean, she's a knockout. I didn't always look this way. I've been road hard and put up wet a long time. But, uh, but she's a knockout. She really is. And I've never seen a picture yet do her justice. But I carry some pictures with me. But I tell you what, if you should come to my house, and see my wife sitting on the floor or sitting over on the table and me sitting there with a picture of her in my lap snuggled up to my breast, please do her a favor and send me away. You say, well, that idiot, what's wrong with him? The ordinances 
and the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the laws given to Israel were just a picture. Christ is the real thing. Hug up to him and throw the pictures away. Throw them away. Did you say throw them away? That's what I said. Throw them away. We don't keep a legal ceremonial Sabbath of any kind because God here specifically prohibits it. All carnal Sabbath keeping, any form of it, is strictly forbidden on the basis of this fact. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Well, what does that word end mean? Just exactly what it means in any dictionary. The end. The end. The finish. The completion. The termination. The end. Somebody said, but Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. That's exactly right. He didn't destroy it. He ended it. He ended it. Did you get that? He ended it forever. Forever. Yet in the New Testament, we do have a word from God speaking concerning a Sabbath. A Sabbath keeping that remains for the people of God. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And let me show you this. Moses led the children of Israel right up to the edge of Canaan. And there God killed him. Because he had smitten the rock, Christ Jesus, when God said, speak to it. The rock will only be smitten one time. No need for another sacrifice of any kind. Christ has finished it. <laughs> but there's another reason why he died. Bruce, he had to die. He had to die. Moses could not bring Israel into the land of promise because the law can't say. God raised up another whose name used to be Oshe, which means Jehovah shall say. And his name was changed to Joshua. Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. <laughs> and Joshua brought Israel into the land of Canaan. And yet, of all those who, who went out of Egypt, all of them perished in the wilderness who were above 20 years old except Joshua and Caleb. Now here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. They perished in the wilderness. They could not enter into the land of rest because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear. Let us stand with trembling before God lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. You've heard the message. You heard the same message those folks heard when Moses said, take the blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost and the lentil, eat the lamb and be ready. We're going out of Egypt tonight. You heard the same message. But they didn't believe God. They just went through the ceremony. They just went through the ceremony. The word preached did not profit them. Has the word you've heard these last three days profited you? These last four days? Has it profited you? Has it profited you? Does it continue to profit you? It did not profit them. How come? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Oh, what you've heard and what you will hear when we're gone will either be to you a savor of life unto life or of death unto death. 
It'll either be that means by which God causes your dead bones to live, or it'll be that means by which God sets before you judgment and everlasting damnation in the lowest pit of hell. Not being mixed with faith. Verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest. And here's the picture of it. As he said, I, as I sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Isn't that good? <laughs> the works were done way back yonder. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Now though the unbelieving generation of the Jews perished in the wilderness in unbelief, the purpose of God was not thwarted. The purpose of God was not overturned. The purpose of God did not come to an end. It wasn't even hindered. You see, there is an elect multitude who must and shall enter into rest. Look at verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must. <laughs> what a great word. Some must because God ordained it. Some must because Christ redeemed them. Some must because Christ earned it. Some must because he sent his spirit to get them. Some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Now look at verse 7. That typical rest given by Joshua in the land of Canaan wasn't the purpose rest. Oh no. That wasn't the rest purchased for the people of God. It was only typical of this blessed rest of faith which is ours in Christ. Again, he limiteth it a, a certain day, saying in David, Psalm 95, Today, today, today. Oh, thank God for today. Thank God for today. Today, after so long a time, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Listen now, listen. There's a better one than Joshua. There's a better rest than Canaan. There's a better promise than that given to the Jews walking around in the wilderness. Listen, for if Jesus, Joshua, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? In other words, he said, Joshua, all that he did and all that he said to Israel, while he was talking to them about physical things, he was talking about spiritual things. While he was talking to them about physical covenants, he was talking to them about spiritual covenants. While he was talking to them about a physical people, he was talking to them about a spiritual people. While he was talking to him about a physical Canaan, he was talking about a better Canaan. All right, look at it. Verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest. Now underscore that word. Very, very important. Throughout this chapter, the word rest is used over and over again in chapters 3 and 4. The word means to repose back, to lay down, to be at peace, to cease from work. It's the word we'd use when we say we're at home. I come up here, I'm right at home here. Except for the funny way y'all talk, y'all seem like Southerners to me. I'm just right at home here. That's what the word means. I'm at ease. But if you have a marginal reference in your Bible, you'll notice that the word rest used in verse 9 is an entirely different word. Anybody got marginal translation? This is what it says. The word here means a sabbatism. A keeping of a Sabbath. All right, read on. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath keeping. 
to the people of God, a sabbatism. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now then, look at the next slide. Let us therefore labor. Let us therefore labor to enter into his rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, Joe, this is what it says. Let's strive to quit striving. Let's labor to quit laboring. Let's work to quit working. Let's labor to enter into His rest and keep His Sabbath, lest we also, like those Jews who had such privileges as we have, John, at last perish not believing God. Warnings are given over and over and over and over again in the Word of God against us having anything to do with our salvation and our acceptance with God before, during, or after the fact because unless we can drop our works and hold on to Christ alone, we perish in unbelief. That's exactly right. All right, now let me show you two or three things here. I want you to see that the Old Testament Sabbath finds its complete fulfillment and accomplishment in Christ. And I want you to see how we enter into it. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ has entered into his rest because he's finished all his work and his rest is his glory. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Isaiah 11.10. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign, a banner of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. His rest is his glory. Our Savior's rest in heaven. Look at him yonder. Can you see him? Seated on the throne of grace. Seated yonder. Who is the mercy seat? Seated on the mercy seat. Seated yonder. Him who is the sacrifice. Seated on the altar of sacrifice. Seated yonder is Jesus Christ the Lord. He with his own blood entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us and he sat down. <laughs> he sat down. How come? Because there's nothing more to do. Nothing more to do. His work's finished. It's over. He obtained eternal redemption for us and his rest his session on the throne of God as the prince and savior, as the priest and king, is his glory. Father, the hour is come. Restore unto me the glory. Give me the glory which I had with you before the world was. The Father said, all right, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Our savior rested from his work as God the Father rested on the seventh day from his work of creation. Because the work was all done. The Lord Jesus, in this last day of time, remember John said, little children, it is the last time. Isn't it a wonderful thing? He said that back in 1 John chapter 4. He said that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> that means, Daryl, anytime some idiot comes out with a paper or a book and says, now, now we're coming close to the last times, Put it away. Use it for firewood. Use it for kindling. Don't, don't pay attention to it. The last time started back yonder. John said, this 
is the last tick of the clock. This is the last time. In the last day of time, Jesus Christ finished his work and sat down. He entered into his rest. Now, let me show you this in Matthew chapter 28. I want you to look at it for just a moment. This is a remarkable verse of Scripture. I wish every one of us could read it clearly in its original language. You can get your concordance out and look it up later, or you can, no, don't trust me. Get your concordance out and look it up later. But I'll tell you what it says. Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, that is, as it was getting early on Sunday morning, at the end of the Saturday Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Two words are used here that are seldom ever translated like this any other time. And one of them is never translated like this any other time. The word first is only translated first eight times in all the New Testament. Sixty times it's translated one. <laughs> the word of the week is never translated that way. You know what the word is? Sabbath. <laughs> well, boy, that's redundant. It's redundant to the man who doesn't know that Christ is our Sabbath. Look at it now. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the one Sabbath, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ is about to rise from the dead and when he rises from the dead the one true Sabbath begins that will never end the one Sabbath the verse quite literally means this when the Lord Jesus died at Calvary and rose again the old Sabbath of the law ended forever and the new one Sabbath of grace began and will never end Oh, look yonder to glory and behold our exalted Savior. There he sits in the undisturbed serenity of absolute sovereignty because his work is finished. He purchased the people. He brought in everlasting righteousness. He took away our transgressions. He purged our sins. He satisfied the law and justice of God. He magnified the law and made it honorable. He obtained eternal redemption. And yonder he says, easy, <laughs> easy, because his work's over. Because Christ finished his work, the salvation of his people is a matter of absolute certainty. There's no more work to be done. Christ did it all. And he sat out. Now let me... See if I can illustrate it for you in the Old Testament. Do you remember when David brought the ark of God up out of Obed-Edom? He's bringing it up to Jerusalem. What a great thing. He's going to build a house of God. He's going to worship God. But Brother Jack, he consulted with the people. Oh, man. When God's servant starts consulting with me and he's in trouble. He consulted with people, so let's have a business meeting. Y'all want to bring it up? Well, everybody got an idea in a business meeting, you know. Let's, uh, you know what I think we ought to do? We've been carrying that old ark around uh, like poor folks all our lives. We got some money now. Let's build it a Cadillac cart. Let's get it a Cadillac cart with leather upholstery. 
And they did. They got it a cart. We've been carrying that thing around by, with the priest leading the way. And who? Man, nobody's impressed with priests. Let's, let's take some military leaders out there. Strut our stuff before men for God's glory. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> Not when it violates everything God said. God said the priest will carry my ark. And they can't even touch it. They'll carry it on sticks. And so they're carrying the ark of God up. And as that new Cadillac cart starts to tilt a little bit in the ditch, Uzzah, he said, man, we can't let God's ark fall on the ground. We can't do that. Oh, that'd be terrible. So he... You know what happened? God killed him dead as a hammer. How come? Because that ark is God's salvation. That ark is Jesus Christ the Redeemer. That ark portrays redemption and salvation by blood through grace alone in a substitute alone. And if you put your hand to it, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. In Exodus chapter 20, after God gave the law to Moses, he said, now you come worship me on an altar. You worship me on an altar of earth. An altar I made, not one you made. And if you worship me on an altar of stone, make sure that it's an altar not of hewn stone, because, buddy, if you put your tool on it, you polluted it. And if you put your tool to God's salvation, Wayne Carrick, you, your wife, me, my wife, your sons and daughters, mine, mom and dad, anybody else, you put your tool to it, you polluted it. And that's damnation. He said something else. He said, when you make an altar, to build an, or come to me on an altar, an altar of earth or an altar of wood, make sure it doesn't have any steps on it. <laughs> no steps. Well, why is that so important? Because you can't get to God by ascending degrees. You can't find acceptance with God. Well, first step. <laughs> the first step's down, not up. You can't get to God by ascending degrees. Well, the Lord saves us, but we got something to do. No steps on an altar that worships God. If you build an altar, you expose your nakedness. If you build an altar with steps, as you crawl up the steps, you show, show your corruption and you're damned. If you break the Sabbath day, the penalty is still death. He that believeth on the Son of God without working, without feeling, <laughs> without doing, without meeting, without condition, without qualification, he that believeth on the Son of God hath. Oh, I love that word. Not he shall have, Jay, but he has it. He has eternal life. He that believes not is condemned already because he's still trying to work. Some of you are here without Christ. I know why. I know why. You're still trying to work for God's favor. You, you find no rest, no peace, because you're still trying to do something to win God's favor. You find no rest, no peace in your soul. You, you have a little religion. You made a profession of faith, but, but there's no peace in your soul. When you lay down at night and you think about judgment, you go take a tranquilizer to get it out of your mind. You, you can't sleep. You can't rest because there's no rest in your soul. You're still trying to worship God on an altar that you've made with stairs to show how good you are. That's it. 
Several years ago, my dad mother were visiting us. Everybody gets old and gets religion, you know. Most of the time they revert to the childhood religion they lost a long time ago, just like my folks did. And uh, tried to witness to them. Before he left, Dad said to me, he said, son, with tears in his eyes, Jeff, is a son sometime, somehow, before I leave this world. I hope to do something, make up to God for all I've done. And that brought tears to my eyes. I said, Dad, quit trying. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't make up to God. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? to atone for your sin, to make yourself holy before God Almighty when all you've got to work with is your corruption. You can't do it. The only way to find God's salvation is rest in Christ. This is what the Sabbath in the Old Testament was all about. There were three of them. The seven-day Sabbath. Remember it? God ceased from His works and said for you to cease from yours under penalty of death. And then there was a seven-year Sabbath. Seven-year Sabbath. Every seven years, down where I live, Shub and I have been planting the garden in the same hole of ground for 21 years. But we have pretty good fertilizer and lime, and I can go get manure and leaves and stuff like that, put it on the garden, and keep revitalizing it. But the law said, the law said every seven years, move it to another spot of ground. Let the land rest. It was called the year of release. Bondmen were released. And then our Lord spoke of another Sabbath day in Isaiah 61. It was given in the law. And he said, this is the year that the Lord has sent me to preach. It was the year of Jubilee. The seven, seven year Sabbath. The 49 year Sabbath. In the 49th year Sabbath, all debts were canceled. All mortgages were released. All prisoners were set free. <laughs> no matter what they'd done. <laughs> and any man who had lost anything, no matter how he lost it, got it back. <laughs> oh, glory, this is the Sabbath we proclaim in the gospel. Cease! from your works. And this is the acceptable year of the Lord. All debts pay. All mortgages released. All prisoners set free. And all that was lost completely restored. <laughs> oh, Pastor. How can I enter into that rest? How can I get in on that? Are you weary? I'm a bit weary. I've been working this week. I believe I'll quit. Oh, that feels so good. Now, Wayne, I call the Sabbath a delight, honorable, 
the honor of God, I quit my doing my own way. Start doing his. <laughs> quit working. Oh, God help you. Quit working. Hardest thing on this earth you'll ever do. You can't do it unless God enables you. Quit working. Rest in his son. Rest in his son. Amen.